Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Yo, what's up, Revo fam? We good? Lame. All right, well, try next week. Better be better. What's up, online? I can hear you right now, right now. I can hear you cheering in your living room. Uh, So good to have you here. My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, I want to talk about what uh, everyone is talking about right now. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but you can't go anywhere without hearing people talk about this. It's like dominating what, what everyone's talking about, what the news is talking about, what your neighbors are talking about, what you're talking about. Only thing you can hear about, uh, seems like only thing people are talking about today is money. You notice that? Like whether it's inflation or gas prices or the economy or the stock market or like bread is like $5 a loaf or what, I don't know what it is, man. Uh, Capital One Bank, the what's in your wallet people, uh, they just came out with a, a survey and they asked people, what is the number one stressor in your life right now for Americans? You know what the number one stressor in, in, in Americans' lives is? Finances. Money. 73% of Americans said right now the thing that stresses me out the most is finances. That's more than politics. That's more than their job. That's more than their family. I know some of y'all's family. That's a big deal yeah, for you. Yeah. Man, that's what people are worried about uh, the most. Uh, I was here uh, for, for Memorial Day weekend, and a lot of you were too, which was interesting because Memorial Day weekend is usually a weekend where a lot of people travel. And I met so many people that said, now, yeah, we're, we're not traveling over Memorial Day because gas is so expensive. Like, I, I just don't want to pay it. And so people are canceling family trips and vacations, like to go see grandma and to go visit family and go out of town to kick off summer. Uh, because for the first time, the national average in America for a gallon of gas is $5. It's the only thing that anybody can talk about. It's what's consuming people uh, right now. Inflation is through the roof. Stuff costs more today than it ever has. And there are shortages and baby formula. And we got some uh, new moms on our staff. And like every time I go to the store, I'll take a picture of the baby formula that's there. I was like, do you need this? Is this your brand? Like, do you want me to buy this? Uh, just because I heard like people are out of it. And so it's, it's everything that, that people can talk about all, all around money. Uh, the elections are coming up. Hooray! <laughs> Oh man, that'll be a joy. November election season. And you know what the number one idea on people's mind is? It's, it happens every election season. It's the economy. That's the only thing anybody cares about. Uh, so if the economy's bad, then it's not going to be a good year for whatever party is, is in power right now. And so that's, that's what people are talking about leading into, the, leading into this fall. A um, bunch of college students just graduated. It's graduation season. Do you know that in America, the average college student graduates with $33,000 worth of debt? Why is that? Because they went to a school and went into a lot of debt so that they could graduate and get a good job that would pay them the most amount of money. It was all about money. It's always all about money. That's why they spend money and try to get into a school so that one day maybe they can make money. All, all about this idea of, of money. Uh, Jesus cared a lot about how people handed, handled their finances. 
uh, surprisingly, the Bible talks a lot about money. Jesus taught 38 parables in Scripture. He told 38 stories with a point. 16 of them were about money and how we handle money as followers of Jesus. Man, that is a lot. Uh, that is 228 verses that specifically address finances and, and what money means in the hands of a follower of Jesus. Jesus warned people that their greatest temptation in life would be finances. The thing that could derail your relationship with God the most. In fact, Scripture tells us you cannot worship both God and money. It could have said anything else, God and whatever, but the Scripture said you can't worship God and money. That'll be your biggest temptation for you to dethrone God in your life and make money the most important thing that you talk about. The Apostle Paul says that the love of money is the root of all evil. That's a big statement right there. What is the root of, not just some evil, not just most evil, but the root of all evil is the love of money. When people have a poor view of finances in their life and they elevate money and the pursuit of money over everything else in in their life. Um, The Bible offers 400 verses on the subject of faith. You know, when you think of Christian faith or the Bible, maybe you think of faith 400 different times. The Bible talks about faith, but there are over 2,000 verses in Scripture on money and materialism. When you have 2,000 verses on anything in the Bible, that's a red flag. Hey, this is important. This is something you need to consider. This is something you need to, to understand and wrap your head around. I've always said this, making money is easy. Everybody knows how to make money. You can go get a job right now at a fast food restaurant, and they're paying like $12, $15 an hour. Making money is easy. Here's what a very few people know how to do, managing money. I know people that are making $700,000 a year. The problem is they're spending $800,000 a year and they're broke. How do we do it? If there's one thing that, that the Bible talks about a lot in Scripture as it talks about change as we finish our change series out and, and continue pushing forward to this, it's we need to change our viewpoint on finances, and how we look at them, how we treat finances. And, and if you have your app, you can open it up, or, or we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today. All the notes will be in the Revo app. I want to tell you a, a, a really cool story about generosity. These are some of the verses in Scripture that specifically address our finances. And, and the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He was writing this letter to a church like, like us. Like Imagine like Revo has a letter written by Apostle Paul. And, and in chapter 8, I want to kick it off as we wrap our minds around this important aspect of, of change. Verse 1 says this, And now, brothers and sisters, Paul speaking to the church. Anytime you read brothers and sisters in the Bible, that's, that's code word for Christian. So if you're on team Jesus, then, then you're a brother and sister in Christ. Now, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul writes a letter and said there's some churches in another city that like something wild is happening, okay? Something crazy is happening over here, and I gotta tell you about it. So Paul's writing in this letter. In verse two, listen to this. I want you to read this and listen to this very closely. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Time out. That doesn't make sense. You should look at that and be like, whoever translated this into the English didn't do it right. 
That those, those four phrases. I want to I read that again and tell me how you can work these four things into the same sentence. Paul says, in the midst of a very severe trial. The people in Macedonia, they were going through a very severe trial. Maybe it was a pandemic. Maybe inflation was really high. I don't know, maybe there was political turmoil. Maybe everybody hated everybody. Maybe it was like persecution that they were going through. Maybe bread cost $5 a loaf. I don't know, maybe gas was really, really expensive. I don't know, but it says they were in the midst of a very severe trial. And here's, here's what they felt. They, they had two things that they were experiencing in the midst of a difficult time. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy mixed with their extreme poverty. How in the world do those two things go together? How can you be in extreme poverty? I'm talking about broke. I'm talking about like having to use the booty piece of the bread. You can't throw that away. You're rich if you're throwing that away. I'm talking about like the booty piece of the bread, just mayonnaise on it. You want, you want it to taste like something? You better put some salt on it. Like, it's not good cheese. There's no ham. Like, we're, this is tough times, man. Tough times. In extreme poverty, and yet this is how they felt. Extreme joy. They were really fired up about mayonnaise sandwiches. Really excited that they were broke, like dead broke. And so here's what they mixed. In the midst of a very tough time, they were really joyful and really excited, and they were really broke. And you know that the combination trials plus broke plus joyful equals this, rich generosity. Huh. How? How do you actually do that? See, Scripture tells us that their joy was so big that it spilled over into every area of their life. Like their joy, they were so filled, so appreciative of what God had given to them, it affected every other area of their life. They were not rich, but check this out, they were extremely generous. So I want to hit the pause button there. I want to make something uh, really clear. They did not give money because they had a lot of money. They gave because they had a lot of love for God. You catch that? Scripture made it very clear. These people loved God. And it was a result of their love for God, they were extremely generous with everything that they had. Now, I'm going to debunk something because some of you are lying to yourself and you're lying to everyone that you tell this to. Um, there's this idea that we will be generous in our lives one day when we get rich. Ever said that before? I've had people that'll tell me, hey, Nathan, I'm, I'm going to go play the lottery. And uh, real talk, they've come up to me and told me this. If I win the lottery, Nathan, I'm going to stroke, the, I'm gonna stroke the, check, uh, the church a check for a million dollars. Just give it to you. I'm, I'm gonna be, look, if I ever hit it big, Nathan, I'm going to be generous. And the Bible actually says, no, you won't. Uh, scripture says, if you're not generous with a little, then you will not be generous with a lot. Like, it's just a flat-out lie. This is a great example of it. These people didn't have anything, but yet they were very generous, even though they were very desperate. Here's the reason why uh, you will never give if you are waiting to give when you get rich. Here's the reality. You ready? You will never be rich. You want to know why you'll never be rich? Because the way that you and I define rich is always someone that's a step ahead of us. No matter how many steps we take, there'll always be someone that's a step ahead of us. 
can remember when I was in college, my brother graduated. When I was a freshman, he graduated. He got a job for Bank of America, like making like $50,000 a year. And as a college student that was working at Moe's at the time, welcome to Moe's, right? Slinging burritos in there. Um, like I looked at my brother graduated making 50 grand a year at Bank of America. And I'm like, bro, you are rich. Can't wait to get out of Moe's, man. Welcome to Moe's. Welcome to Bank of America. That's what I'm talking about. 50 grand. But if you talk to my brother, he would tell you a different story because he found out that his supervisor made $75,000. And so he looked and he said, man, as a, as a fresh out of college business administrative graduate making fifty grand at the corporate office at Bank of America, that's nothing. I'll tell you who's rich, my supervisor, seventy-five grand. And guess what happened when he made supervisor? He found out the regional director was making six figures. He says, 75? That's nothing. I'll tell you who's rich, the regional guy. The regional guy is making over $100,000 a year. Guess what happened when you get to the regional area? You find that there's someone that is over north in South Carolina, Virginia, and Georgia. You know how much money he makes? You know how much money that girl's bringing in? A lot more than my $100,000. I'm not rich. They're rich. It always gets pushed back. If you ask Democrats, they, they want to they tax the rich. Ooh, just got tense in here, right? Slow down. Okay. <laughs> Slow down. They want to tax the rich, right? And here's their definition of rich. If you make over $250,000 a year, you are rich. Heads up, Republicans want to tax the rich as well. But if you ask a Republican in the Senate or the House, they'll say you are rich if you make over $100,000 a year. But the reality is like even people that, that or I'm sorry, a million dollars a year. Republicans say if you make a million dollars a year, 250, no, that's not rich. A million dollars a year, that's not rich. Well, well, you might think a million dollars is rich until if you're a sports guy like me, you found out this week that two very prominent people became billionaires this week. LeBron James is now a billionaire. Tiger Woods is now a billionaire. Now all of a sudden it's like people that make a million dollars, they're not rich. LeBron James is rich. Like Tiger Woods is rich. But then if you ask the world as a whole, if you're rich, like, tell me who is rich. Three names come to mind. You know who they are? Jeff Bezos. He's rich. Bill Gates. That dude's rich. Elon Musk. Like, Tesla and SpaceX. Now, that guy's rich. Those are billionaires 5, 10, 20 times over. Now, there's a, you see how the ball keeps getting moved down the field? The reality is you will never be rich. Whoever is richer than you will be rich. And so if you're waiting, convincing yourself, telling yourself and others the lie that when I get rich, I will be generous, you will never be generous because you'll never be rich. Paul says this church was broke. Like no meat, no cheese on the sandwich, broke, booty bread, broke. But yet they were extremely generous. And it was just like extreme generosity happened in, in their life. Verse 3, it keeps, it keeps going, like he, he keeps piling on. For, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I love this phrase at the end, entirely on their own. Nobody had to ask them. Nobody had to beg them. They were looking for opportunities. Like I know people that if there's a need, if I ask them personally, they'll give. But if you don't get a one-on-one ask, like they're, just, they're not going to give. They're not going to do it. These people, Paul says, man, they, they gave like normal people would, and then they went even further. 
And I, I didn't have to post a sappy video like up here on the, of, of like kids that are starving and, and people that are homeless in order to like pull at your heartstrings and like try to manipulate your emotions to give. That's not what I had to do. Paul says entirely on their own. They just wanted to give. They're just generous, man. They're just, they're just open-handed in, in that way. Going above and beyond, that's not a foreign idea to us in, in our life. Uh, like for some of you, you do that at work. Right? You, you want to get a promotion, you want to be the owner, you want to be the, the manager one day, and so you will go above and beyond. You will show up early, you will stay late, you'll do the jobs that no one wants to do. Why? Because you want to go beyond, you want to, to move forward. Some of you are doing that in school, like you want to make all A's so that you can get a scholarship, you want perfect attendance, and you want to join all the clubs because it looks good on your resume, because you, you want to excel, you want to go above and beyond. Paul says there's a group of people in the church that, that view this and have that mindset around generosity as well. It's not just the bare minimum. It's not like, all right, well, if I get cornered into asking it, then I'll do it. It's they gave above and, and beyond. Let me tell you two stories that, that happened here at Revo over the last couple of months. Um, you probably remember me standing up on stage and talking about Summer Serve, um, that we had uh, opportunities for people to get plugged in in the kids' ministry downstairs. Well, one guy in particular signed up for Summer Serve, and, and I don't know if this, is like just, if this is wrong on my part, but when I viewed this person, I was like, that does not look like the type of person that would sign up for Summer Serve. Uh, like, when I, when I see you, I don't scream like, kids, <laughs> they love kids. And so I asked him, I was like, I heard you signed up for summer serve. Why'd you do that? I just hadn't, didn't, just never pegged you for that. Never thought about that. And he looked at me, he said, well, you, you stood up for six weeks in a row and you, and you talked about there was a need. And so I just wanted to meet the need. No, I, I don't have a calling for kids. I don't even have kids. Like, but there's a need and I want to be generous with my time. Okay. Like, what are you doing next Sunday? You want to come preach this message? You want to come share this story? Remember a few weeks ago where I gave you an update on what we were doing for the church in Ukraine? Uh, I, I threw out this number. I don't even know. You might have just glossed over it. I don't know if you thought about it or not. But, I, but I, I made the mention that we've been buying pallets of food for $800 that would feed 100 families. And so we've been having those shipped into Poland, capturing Poland for Christ, and then driving them to the border and, like, in the middle of the night, packing trucks to get those to families in, in house churches in, in Ukraine. And um, so I just told a story. I didn't ask you for anything. In fact, I thanked you. Because if you've ever given at Revo in the past 12 months, you've been paying for that food and you didn't even know it. So thank you again. And I got a, a text message from a guy that attends this campus after the service, and he said, hey, I want to give $800 to buy a pallet of food so that I can help more families in Ukraine. I want to know how to do it. Do I bring it by the office? Do I write a check? Can I designate it online? I just I want to give $800. We had another guy uh, that doesn't even live in North Carolina. He's a part of our online campus, watches online every week. And he emailed our info at Discoverivo, and he said, hey, I want, to, I want to mail you a check for $800. I want to give a pallet of food. Now, I want you to remember, I did not stand up here and ask you to give. In fact, I I didn't ask anything. I thanked you for giving. I didn't say, all right, heads up, everybody. I need eight people to give $100. Eight people, stand up right now. Come on, pressure's on. Stand up, bring your eight eight people with $100 to get us another pallet. I didn't say, all right, here's the deal. We got some rich people in here. It's time to come off the wallet, people. Like, some of y'all can write an $800 check right now. You can drop it in the offering basket. And like, uh, Spirit of God's telling me seven people in here can get $800. All right, seven people. Eight people? All right, God, yes, sir. Uh, no, I didn't say that. I didn't bring out a thermometer. It's like, all right, here's a measurement. We're at 50 degrees. We need to have a fever of 100 degrees and, and more cowbell. And all. I didn't say that. I didn't say that at all. 
But there were people in here that heard it. They were like, $800, I can meet that need. I can give. You didn't even ask for it, but I'm going to give. You, you, you didn't ask me to serve, but I'm going to serve because there's a need. And, and these are the people that Paul's talking about here. Like there's this culture of generosity where you don't have to beg people. You don't have to just give a sad sob story or show a video. It's just like, hey, see a need, meet a need. You don't have to twist my arm. It's not out of obligation. I'm going to give because this is who I am. Generosity is not something we do. Generous is who we are as followers of Jesus. And so people were rising up. Paul was telling these stories that was happening in this church. Not just going and giving, but going above and beyond even beyond what the expectations were. Now, verse 4 is wild because Paul says, they, these people, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Highlight it, underline it, star it, color it, draw a smiley face. These people believed that generosity was not an obligation, but a privilege. They were looking for ways to give. They were looking for ways to be generous. Some guy had a random comment that $800 could buy a pallet of food that would serve 100 families in a war-torn country, and somebody just said, I'm in. I'll do it. I'm looking for a privilege of partnership. I'm looking for that opportunity to give. They were, they were like pleading to give. They, if they had phones, they'd be calling Paul. Hey, any needs? Any needs? And Paul's like, what do you mean he needs? You guys are broke. <laughs> I need to be sending you money. He's like, no, no, no. Don't worry about how much money I have or what I don't have. Don't worry about what's going on in my life. I want to give. I want to be generous towards those things. That's who those people were. Verse 5, it says, they exceeded our expectations. This is crucial. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. If you want to be a generous person, you've you got, you got to understand this. There's a step to get there first. Verse 5 tells us that the foundation that you have for generosity is your love for God. Let me put it clearly. If you love God, then you will be generous. Simple. If you don't love God, then you won't be generous. That's what Scripture tells us so many times in Scripture. Like, one of the ways that we prove, that we illustrate, not that we earn our way to God, but that we prove that we love God, that I'm on Team Jesus, is that I'm going to be generous with my time and with my talent and with my treasure. Jesus even understood this. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there also will be your heart. Whatever you love is going to be illustrated with how many checks you write, what you do with your time. So that's fine. Jesus says, if you say you love God, that's cool. But love is not a feeling. Love is not a word, and love is not an action. Or love is an action. It's not an emotion or a feeling. So if you love God, Scripture says there are ways that people that love God illustrate that they love God. And one of the biggest ways is generosity. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your talent? What are you doing with your treasure? So many ideas around this. And the interesting thing is this. There are 2,000 verses in the Bible about money and possessions that don't have anything to do with money and possessions. It's all about your heart. That's what all those verses are about the Bible. It's a heart issue, not a financial issue. Because Jesus said, wherever your heart is, is where your money will go. 
Whatever you love, whatever you care about, whatever matters most to you in your life, people will be able to tell. And Jesus said, I'm not interested. Like, trust me, God is not broke. <laughs> Revo is not doing a fundraiser, okay? I don't need your money. It's heart. God said, where's your heart? And the way I'm going to be able to tell that, the way I'm going to be able to take the temperature of your heart is to look and see what you're doing and how you're generous with other areas of, of your life. Verse, verse 7 reads like this. He says, but, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. The Apostle Paul says, like, I know, I know some of you are, like, you, you want gold stars on your chart for being a good Christian, and, and you go to church, and you're good at that, and you read your Bible every day, and you're good at that, and you pray all the time, and you're good at that, and, and I get it, man, you guys are excelling in so many areas, and then Paul gives a command, not, not a suggestion, not this is what you should do next, but the command, he says, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. Paul says, I want people to look at Christians and think, man, those are some generous people. Man, <laughs> you want to talk about some people that give, that care, that give of their time, talent, treasure. Those people are, are generous people. Verse 8 may, may be the biggest thing. This is, if I were a teacher right now, I would tell you, I would say, all right, class, pay attention because this is going to be on the test, right? And anytime you hear your, your, your teacher say that, like, that's when I pick up my pencil. I'm like, all right, I do want to pass it to this is going to be on the test. Verse 8 is going to be on the test. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul says, here's the deal, man. When you come into the church, we are not going to ask you to bring your W-2. I'm not going to force you to give a percentage of your income to church. Like when we do membership meetings, we don't tell you to bring your W-2. We don't say, all right, well, send me how much you make, and I'm going to run the numbers, and here's your percentage, and this is what you can do to stay a member at Revo Church. That's not what we do. That's not what Paul, he says, I'm not going to command it, but I need for you to understand that God uses money as a test in your life. It's all a test. It doesn't have anything to do with the money. It's all a test about what you think of God. And Paul says, I don't want you to, pass, I don't want you to fail the test. Yeah, I, I don't want you to get to God one day and stand in front of him and God said, let's go over the many times in your life where you were tested, your love for me, your desire for me, your devotion for me. I know you said with your mouth that I'm God, but like, let's, let's look at the test and you'd be like, what test? God's going to say, man, oh yeah, it was all over the Bible. Like finances, all that money stuff. Hey, didn't have anything to do with the money. Your paycheck didn't have anything to do with the paycheck. I just wanted to test you to see what you loved the most. To see if you loved me. To see if it mattered. To see if you'd be faithful. To see if you'd be obedient. Please, I do not want you to get to the end and realize you failed the test. Money is all a test to God. Paul says one of the ways that your love for God is tested is in your finances. And the results will be pretty clear. And so he leaves with that challenge. So I want to I leave you with a few things and ask you some questions to wrestle with. Um, th the first one is this, why give? Like why would we give? Why is giving and generosity such a huge deal in the scriptures? Here's, here's the first thing. Big statement right here. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Uh, you need to understand that you are most like God when you give. Did you know that? When you're generous towards others, 
That is the closest to God that you will ever get. One verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Did you know the entire Christian idea, the entire Christian faith is built on generosity? It's not built on the Bible. It's built on generosity. For God so loved that he gave. There would be no salvation. There would be no Jesus. There would be no Bible. There would be no Christian religion if God wasn't generous. And so when you're generous, you're, you're most like God. Number two is this generosity is a laxative for greed. <laughs> if you're struggling with greed, if money is running your life, if you get stressed when the money is low and, and you feel good when the money is high, if you get frustrated or anxious when the stock market crashes but, but you're okay when the stock market's up, if you're calm when gas is $2 a gallon but freaked out when gas is $5 a gallon, that might be an indicator that greed has taken root in your life, that money is running things, that money controls your emotions and your outlook and your attitude on life. If you don't want to be a slave to money anymore, try this. Try giving some away. Something crazy happens when you live open-handed and you're generous with it. Like, you won't be a slave to it anymore. And I believe in this so much. Like, it's, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, you understand that we give to the local church. We give uh, because we, this is our faith family. This is where we belong. And not only do we pay for, like, not sexy things like the electricity bill and to make sure that the AC is on, but we also pay to meet great ministry needs here in the city, uh, around the state, around the country, and around the world. Like, we get that. But here's the deal. I believe in this so much that if you're not a follower of Jesus— I don't want you to think that like you came to church today and all the pastor, the pastor wants my money, the, the church wants my money, the pastor wants my money. I could care less about your money. Go be generous somewhere else and watch what God does. Pick any nonprofit in the city of Winston-Salem, give some money towards that and watch how your heart begins to be released from the love of money. For, for followers of Jesus, we know that because we give here in the local church. Watch how generosity begins to release us from the power of greed in our lives. The third thing is this, giving keeps your heart in the right place. Again, it's all about your heart. God's not broke. God doesn't need a loan. God's not trying to steal or rob from you. It has nothing to do with money. God simply says, I want to know where your heart is. And the easiest way for me to tell where your heart is is where your money is, where your, where your money goes. It's a, a common misconception that, that more money will change me. If I had more money, then I would be different. More money will not change who you are. More money will just expose who you've been the whole time. If you're greedy now, when you hit the jackpot, it'll be obvious to everyone that you're greedy. If money runs your life now and you only have a little bit, man, you wait till you make more and watch how money's grip has on your life and it'll control everything about you. It's all about the heart issue. The fourth thing is, is something from Scripture, and I'm going to give you an illustration for this. Jot this down. Uh, God gives seed to the sower. Alan, will you come up here for a second? Alan is a small group leader. If you sign up to be an R group leader, that means you are uh, 
under obligation to be a sermon illustration anytime I'd like to. Um, and so here's the concept. God gives seed to the sower. Here's In Scripture, there's an agricultural society um, where this idea as a sower is someone that has seed in their hands and they constantly throw it out. You can come on this side, Alan. Uh, they constantly throw the seed out. They plant the seed. As soon as they have more seed, it doesn't do a farmer any good to have more seed in his barn or more seed in his hand. He has to plant it. He has to sow it. So Scripture says if you're willing to get rid of the seed, seed, to be generous with the seed, to sow the seed, then God will always make sure your bag is full. Now here's the problem though. Most people in life will live their life close-handed. Alan, come here for a second. Hold your hands out like this. Hold your hands out like this, like we're doing our wedding vows here. All right. Here's, our, here's the thing. Here, here's, here's what we do. I'm going to put some money in your hand. Uh, just this one hand. You can put that one down. Um, just this one hand. I want you to close it, okay? This money symbolizes the things that God has blessed you with, your job. Even though you hate your job, it's a blessing from God. It's the way that God helps provide in your life. Here's the problem, though. Most people treat their job with a closed hand. This is my money. No, nobody can tell me what to I'm not giving any of this. I worked hard for this. I'm going to earn it. But the Bible says that God is looking for people to bless Here's the problem with someone that lives their life with a closed hand. God comes along and he wants to bless you. It's a, it's a promise from God that he's going to do this. I'm going to pour out my, my blessings on your life. When you live with a closed hand, no matter how much God wants to bless you with, it never grows. You have the same amount of money in this hand that you always had because it's mine, mine, mine. And here's the problem. God only walks by a certain amount of times before he realizes closed hands, uh, I'm not going to dump any more money on that. It'd be a waste. This guy is not going to do anything with it. He's not going to honor me with it. He's not going to be faithful with it. But what happens when we live a life that's open-handed? All right, Alan, do this right here. So you got open hands right here. Here's your paycheck. Here's your, uh, don't spend it all in one place. Um, that's your job. That's what, now, God comes alongside. Now, there's some people that are very generous. And here's what happens. God promises that he always gives seed to the sower. And so for those of you that are willing to live a generous life and live open-handed, here's what God does. Interestingly enough, he blesses you and you get to catch it all because your life is living open-handed. And if I had another uh, cup of coins and I didn't want to pick all these up, I would tell Alan to throw those away. And then God says, oh, wait, there's an empty hand. I'll bless it again. Because obviously this is a guy that's willing to throw it out. This is a, a, a sower that's willing to scatter the seed. And so if you're, if you're praying prayers and living your life closed-handed, don't be surprised if God stops by and, and stops pouring blessings into your life because you've already decided you're not going to do anything with it. So just stop asking him for stuff if you're going to live a closed-handed. But when you live open-handed and when God blesses you, you get to keep some of this, but then you also get to share it and you get to spread it out then God will come back and say, you, you were faithful with that, I'll pour even more into it. I'll, I'll give you even more. And that's the principle of it. That's God always gives seed to the sower. That's a promise for that. Got it? All right, let's put this back in here. I can't. There's a coin shortage. And, uh, this is why there's going to... Alan, thanks, man. No, you can't have that, man. Come on now. Give that to the Lord. Nobody take any pictures of this. I don't want to be like, is that church throwing money at the pastor's feet? Like, not a good look for us. Um, the promise from God is that he would give seed to the sower. Man, I hope you're living your life open-handed instead of closing your hand and then asking God to continue to pour stuff in your life. Because it doesn't matter how many things he pours in. If your hand's closed, you won't get any more. You'll just be stuck with the little that you have now. 
Here's, here's the next steps that I want to challenge you with. Jot, jot these things down. So what, Nathan? So what am I supposed to do? What's, what's the next step? Here, here's the first step. Number one is this. Just start. For some of you in here, you may have never given before. Never given. You walk by the offering baskets. You, you, you got the app. You walk, but we talk about it all the time. You're like, I've never given. Like, just start. Just start. I can remember when I was in elementary school, every Sunday morning, my parents would give me $2. And they would put $2 in my hand and say, Nathan, when you get to church, you need to put this $2 in the offering basket because this is what we do, Nathan. We're generous. And, and it, it, my, I didn't even realize my dad was doing this, but the reason why it was so easy for me to give that $2 was because it wasn't my money. And so my dad was giving me $2 and saying, Nathan, put this $2 in the offering basket. When we go to church, we worship God through our finances, always live open-handed. I didn't have $2. I was giving all I had, but it wasn't my money anyway. You want to know what happened when I got to high school and I got my first job? As soon as I got my first paycheck, the first thing I did, gave. Why? Because I was used to it. My dad taught me that money's not yours and you should be generous with it. And so even when I was working for my money, I got my first paycheck and I said, man, this money isn't mine. This is a gift from God so I can easily give money to it. Man, real talk, my wife and I have never, that's the same way she was raised. My wife and I have never had a problem giving money away. Never had a problem meeting a need. Never had a problem being generous. I love being generous with people. Love meeting needs around me. Never given. It was like, I don't want to do this, but my mom's making me. I don't want to do this, but I feel bad because the pastor talked me into it. Never had a problem with it. Why? Because I started $2 a week. I started, and then God began to prove to me his faithfulness. And this continued. So start. Start somewhere. $2, $5, I don't know. Start anywhere. Just be generous. And watch what God does in your life. Start somewhere. Number two is stretch. This is the, the, the passage where, where Paul talks about some of you gave and then exceeded expectations. Some of you, man, you're giving and, and, and like, honestly, like you don't even miss it. You've been giving that amount for so long or, or you're giving that and, and it automatically goes out of your, your, your paycheck, automatically goes out of your funds and you don't even know it's not there. I mean, it's, that, that's how I do. Like, first of the month, there's a set amount that comes out of my paycheck every, every month. Same thing with my, it's automated. I don't even miss it because it never hits my account. It automatically goes out. But the reality is, like, I don't even miss it. And I can give more and still not miss it. I could stretch. I could be the one that says, all right, God, so you want me to go more? God, show me what, what, other, what other needs are there. God, I've been given this percent or this amount or this dollar for a long time. Like, like, what does it mean for me to stretch, God? What does it mean for me to go beyond? What does it mean to have a culture of generosity? So, so start. For some of you, it's start. For some of you, it's, it's stretch. Number three, for some of you, it's ask God. And this is a wild one right here. This, is even, this verse is printed on our offering envelopes that are in the seat back in front of you. Uh, I don't tell people that in order to be a member at Revo, you have to give X amount of percentage. Here's the challenge. Pray. Ask God, God, what do you want me to give? Like, it's all on the table, God. You know how much I make. You know how much I have. How much of this do you want me to keep? And how much of this do you want me to give? And if you will give that, then that's all I'm asking. You don't need to ask me, Nathan, is this okay? Nathan, is this good? Nathan, does this meet the bar? You're not going to be kicked out of membership because the, the amount is not a certain amount. That's just what we're asking. Just ask God. Get in a habit of asking God. When's the last time you ask God, God, what do you want me to give? How can I be generous in a way that honors you? And then listen to God and do what he says. Whatever you do that, we'll be satisfied. 
Man, it'll be perfect. That's what obedience looks like for you. The last, the last one is this. Um, the next step you need to take is come up with a plan for generosity. I, I will tell you this. Uh, you will never be generous by accident. You won't. You will not just wake up one day and be like, shoot, I'm generous. That's <laughs> awesome. You will never get to the end of the month and be like, man, I got so much money left over. It's the end of the month. I'm going to give it, right? No, there's never any money left over. Like my mom taught me growing up, when we were at the table, she was like, Nathan, you need to clean your plate, okay? You need to eat everything that's on your plate. Now, later in life, I understand what she was doing, but that came back to hurt me later, that I don't want to leave anything on my plate. I want to eat it all. But that's how we treat finances. At the end, of, like most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. What does that mean? That means the day before payday, whatever's left over, let's blow it because I get paid tomorrow. There's never any money left over. You will never be generous unless you plan it. Unless you anticipate it. So come up with a plan for generosity. Pray about it and be like, all right, so this year, this month, every paycheck, this is what I'm going to do to honor God. Let me close it like this. I got, I got, this, I got this dream for our church, right? I got this, got this vision. Um, before we planted uh, Revo Church, I was a chef at, at a restaurant. That was my life goal. That's what I wanted to do when I graduated high school was to own and operate my own restaurant. So I was a chef at a really swanky restaurant in South Carolina. And um, we sold steaks that were like $70, $80. And um, when, when, when someone comes into your restaurant and pays $80 for a steak, like the least they deserve is for the chef to come out and talk to them. <laughs> and so every night uh, I would put on my clean chef jacket and the chef hat and I would walk around the dining room and I would talk to people that paid hundreds of dollars to come and eat a steak that I cooked. And I would come up to the table and I'd say, tell me about it. Hey, real talk, don't just say that because I'm standing here. Is that the best steak you've ever had? Come on, was that not cooked perfectly? I still do this with Elizabeth every time we eat steak. I'm like, hey, babe, aren't you glad you married me, a chef? How's that steak? Yeah, I've had some friends over to my house, and I was like, is that the best steak you ever had? And he was like, it's the second best steak. The first best steak was the first time I ate steak at your house. I'm like, you're welcome. You're welcome. You know what's interesting, though? I never ate steak at the restaurant. And even though I never ate it, I got all of the joy after I gave it to other people by seeing them enjoy it. I didn't have to have the steak for me to enjoy what the steak did for other people. And that's generosity. I don't have to have the money to be able to give it and see it impact and change other people's lives for me to be able to walk away and be like, yep, I did that. Yeah, no big deal. You know, best steak around. That's the joy of giving. That's the joy of generosity. What a joy. What if our church had a culture where people looked at and said, man, what a joy is it is to be generous to other people, to see needs met in the city. And the money's not spent on me. I gave the money and the need is met and I get all the joy out of it. Like that family gets to eat. That need gets to be met. That issue is eradicated. Like someone else experiences joy. Some, we never eat the steak the whole time but we're the ones that get to reap the benefit of it. Those are the letters of generosity that Paul says, let me tell you about this church, man. They had a culture of generosity that no matter how much they had, they just love to give. Man, what, what a great testament to a follower of Jesus. What a great testament to a church to be known as a place that was focused and loved generosity. Man, I hope that could be us one day. Let me pray for you. God, give us the wisdom 
to know what to do with the words that we have just heard. And God, help us not to fail the test. Help us to understand that our life is a test from you on how we will respond, how we will honor you, how we will serve you, how we will elevate you above everything else in our life. God, create in us, give us that, that grace of giving that you gave the church in Macedonia, that we would get so much joy and satisfaction, even being able to be the, the middleman, to be the sower that casts the seed. God, I promise you, we are here with open hands. And as you pour out your blessing, we will be generous to other people. We will use what you've given us to honor you and meet the needs that are around us. God, so I ask for a blessing that is promised in scripture to our people here today so that we can turn around and be a blessing to others. Ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.